and I'm going to name it after your dog. We're going to call it an ode to pod. That's today's guest, band director and loyal listener, Jennifer Williams, telling a powerful story that wouldn't have happened if it weren't for this podcast. Welcome to Music at Insights. I'm Alan Fire here with Steve Shanley. Each episode, Alan and I usually talk with national thought leaders in music education with practical insights for K-12 music educators. This week, we're talking with a listener who has applied many of those practical insights. Steve, tell us about our guest. Jennifer Williams is lead director of bands at Ankeny High School in Ankeny, Iowa, where she directs concert, marching, and jazz bands in addition to teaching AP Music Theory. Bands under her direction have earned many accolades, including Division I ratings and performances at the State Music Conference. She's in demand as a guest conductor, adjudicator, and clinician as she finishes this, her 19th year of teaching. Alan, what was a high point for you in this interview? That story that we hinted at in the cold open. Grab your tissues. A little extra time and thought from Ms. Williams, inspired by our guest, Dr. Alice Hamill, caused some pretty special magic. What about you, Steve? Well, I think Jennifer shows us that our thought leader guests are right. There are things teachers can do every day that don't take a lot of time and will add a lot of value to what they are already doing. Uh, it was gratifying to see that our podcast is really making a difference for some people. Yes. Also, once again, a couple reminders that perfectionism can get in our way. By the way, if you're a listener who would love to hear your voice on this podcast, send us a sound clip or audio file with some of your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. For now, let's get to our conversation with Ms. Williams. Jennifer Williams, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. We are delighted that you have shared how the program has affected your teaching and how the insights from our guests have helped your students. And so we've invited you on today to share and we'll dig right into our most recent guest, Jason Max Ferdinand. So what ideas did you take away from the episode we had with Dr. Ferdinand? So I'm an early morning listener. And when I say early, it's like 4.30 at the gym. And I was a Friday morning of a rehearsal and or before rehearsal. And I was listening to Jason talk. And he talked a lot about like find the emotion in the music. And he talked directly about the connections to the music. And I was like, wow, I could really use this today in rehearsal. I need to like step away from the, you know, the technical work and just make music with my kids. So that morning in rehearsal, we were rehearsing Chris Pilsner's Doom Sparrow Sparrow. And um, every day in rehearsal, we talk about what that means in Latin, which is uh, while I breathe, I hope. So I decided that day that we were going to expand on it a little bit more. And I said, so what emotions does this piece make you feel? And the kids said, of course, the smart, the first answer was hope. And I was like, okay, can you expand besides hope? And they said things like warmth and inspiration and tranquility and meditation and endless possibility. And immediately I was like, okay, this is the right direction to go. So after they all shared, and it was really quite cool that many kids that don't usually speak up decided to share. Uh, we talked about how we could apply it to the performance of that piece that, that day. And we ran through the entire piece and it was like one of the most musical experiences I've ever had with this ensemble. And you could feel it from everybody, like everybody's eyes were locked in. It was just, it was really incredible. And we all got done and there was just this silence and it like, like, wow, did that just happen? And it was so cool. And I like came rushing out of rehearsal that day, like wanting to tell everybody like, we did this today. This was so cool. 
In addition to them having their eyes on you, what were you hearing or seeing or feeling that made you define that as a musical experience? So like right away from the start, like we started and there was all the dynamics were much more expanded than what they do on a typical rehearsal day. Uh, they, they challenged the tempo that I would go. They wanted to go slower and I let them because they were being so much more expressive with it. It was like everything that we preach to our kids every day. Like we remind them, like, don't forget if the line goes up, you've got a crescendo. Like all of a sudden it was all there without me having to say the words at all. And that was without you saying, well, let's do it again with some dynamics. You didn't even maybe (laughs) say the word dynamics. You just had them thinking about the emotional content of the music and that magically translated into more dynamics and more watching. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So how far along would you say in the learning process you were with this piece? In other words, did you feel like you could take some time away from rehearsal to talk about these things because the pitches and rhythms and so forth are all pretty well learned? Or did you still feel like you were sacrificing some time that you otherwise would have spent on, for lack of a better term, cleaning? Uh, on that particular piece, I felt like we were ready for like the connection to the music, like the notes and rhythms, everything was there. It was just time to get more of the emotion and the music out of the stuff on the page. I like that question, Steve. I think that's a good one because a thing that our listeners always wonder is, what if I got to worry about notes and rhythms? So it's important to, to raise that up. Jennifer, did students come to you and talk to you about this like unprompted afterwards? Did anybody say anything to you? Yes. After rehearsal, like a few kids were like, wow, that was really fun today, Mrs. Williams. And like fun and a slow piece don't always usually go together in the same sentence from teenagers. So that was cool. Um, And then even the next week we were working on it and somebody said like, this wasn't as good as we did it last week. So have you done the same thing since then? Is this a one-time thing that you're going to try again in the future or have you done it multiple times now? We've done it multiple times. And it's interesting. I think when you're working with teenage brains, like you can tell their emotions are in different places on different days. Cause I didn't feel like the next day that we talked about it, it was quite as musical, but was it because they were tired? Was it because they had seven other tests in the rest of the day? I don't know. So back to the Jason Max Ferdinand episode itself that inspired this rehearsal. What are some specifics that you remember as you listen to the episode thinking, I need to try this or I need to try that. What did he say? Were there some segments from that that you remember or was it an overall feeling just when you got done consuming the whole episode? I would say a mix of both. I just remember particularly like him talking about, like you could talk about from measures 10 to measure 35 and what emotion does that portray? And then, you know, what the next ones and my first thing, inkling was like, no, I can't do that in rehearsal, but I can do an overall. And then as I listened, like that really like sucked me in on the episode. And then the more I was like, I can do this in rehearsal and it's not going to take a ton of time and we'll still be productive. Were the students surprised that you used rehearsal time on this? And I ask that because every once in a while, when I listen to a podcast or read an article that makes me think about trying something differently. And then I show up to my ensemble and we try something differently. They're very suspicious. <laughs> they want to know what has happened to the real Dr. Shanley. And they want mm-hmm. to, I'm, what kind of reaction did you get in that regard? Or had you been exploring these types of ideas that this wasn't so different, you were just maybe tweaking your approach a bit? 
I think we'd been exploring it. Like I said, from the day I started the piece, we talked about what the phrase meant with when I breathe, I hope. So we'd always, every, every time in rehearsal, we would always bring that up and I'd call in a different kid. What does this mean? And so I think I just, they were just ready for me to expand it. They're like, okay, today she's going to expand on that and go from there. So what advice do you have for music teachers, band directors, or anyone in an ensemble setting who might want to implement this? What did you learn from this? What advice do you have for how they might be able to experience this same level of success? I would say it's okay to get away from the notes and rhythms. Like making music is so important and drawing the emotion out of the music is so important. So just, you know, go for the, there's a reason why we teach and it's because we love it. So let that show in that and take, relax a little bit on playing everything the right way. Let's uh, shift over to Alice Hamill. You also mentioned that the episode where she talked about inclusion of students with special needs in our music programs, that that got you thinking. How did you respond to her episode? How did it affect your teaching? Well, first off, I was just so excited that there was um, a music ed person that was going to talk about working with students with special needs. Um, I think it's sometimes we get stuck like, oh, like special ed teachers don't understand what we do as music teachers. So we get stuck in that. So I was really excited about that. Um, I really latched on when she talked about like how students learn best and meeting the needs of the students to both um, challenge them and support them. So um, I have a very dear to my heart, senior trombone player by the name of Rachel. And Rachel has a service dog named Podge. And Podge is our service, our theme dog. He sits out on the marching man field. He's great. But Rachel um, was wanting to do a solo contest this year. So uh, in the past with Rachel, we've given her like a beginning band solo. And I've sat behind the piano and played with her. And she did okay, but she really struggles to match pitch. And it would be a lot of me hammering out the melody with my right hand. And so as I was thinking about Alice's episode and how I could support Rachel best, I realized that she's the happiest and likes playing trombone the best with me when I sit right next to her and play trombone. And so in our lessons, we'd been working on like matching pitch and like just getting her with like to buzz and pull her like Rachel smile at me. So she would pull her corners back and that would make her laugh. And so we had talked about her solo festival. I said, Rachel, how about I just write you a solo? Cause I thought that'll be easy. I'll meet her needs. I know that she can play B flats and F's and can, you know, go from there. And she's like, yep. And I'm like, and I'm going to name it after your dog. We're going to call it an ode to podge. And she just was so excited about it. So I wrote her this easy solo and it was like, okay, I can come up with a cheesy accompaniment behind the piano. And then as we were working on it one day, I was still playing trombone and I just turned to her. I said, Rachel, how about I accompany you on trombone at Perry? And Perry is our solo festival. And she was like, and she just smiled ear to ear and was so excited because I was like, this is where she's the best. This is where she, you know, feels confident and she'll go up there. So at solo festival, I, I'm a saxophone player. So I made my solo festival debut on trombone. I stood right next to her. Um, Podge, the dog was in the room and we played this ode to Podge. Um, and she was so happy and so excited and played so well. Um, she had felt like she had that other person next to her and, um, the judge was very complimentary to her and how well she did. And then it was even better that she earned a division one rating for her ode to Podge solo. So it's an award-winning solo. Now <laughs> you did not warn us that we were going to need a tissue for this conversation. 
<laughs> Sorry. That's amazing. It's amazing. I was just going to say what's fun now too, is that solo festival took place in February and now on her lessons, we play it together every single time. So you tell a story like that and there, in addition to needing the tissues, as Alan said, there's part of me that thinks, well, of course we should be doing that sort of thing. And what Jennifer just described is not that difficult. And and why are we not already doing those types of things? I'm curious what it was about the episode with Alice that maybe inspired that. And how are you going to keep that going forward? Like, why were you not doing this before? Why? And, and by you, I mean, why do we not do these things that seem so obvious and seem like they're going to do so many good things for students? I think sometimes we do like the solos that we may give those kids in the past is just like, well, you know, they can't play much more than what a fifth grader can play. So we're going to give them a fifth grade solo. No, they're capable of these things and they, they're deserving of doing what they can be successful at. So like, I think, and I think another part of it is, is just taking the time to do it. I think some of us just don't take the time. Where did you find the time? On a night at, or a, a day after school, I think I just sat down and with finale and just start plugging out, you know, at the uh, basic band notes, B flats and Fs. Okay, here we go. And I think that's been my experience too with our guests. For sure, each one usually shares some wisdom that I had not considered. But oftentimes, just like when we maybe have a guest teacher in our rooms or we go watch another person teach and they do things that or say things that we know we should be doing, but we don't, just having that reminder from someone. And I think that's been something that you... Mm And some other listeners have really, um, it's resonated to just sort of have a, a nice reminder every couple of weeks of here are just some good things we should be thinking about. Yeah. And we might already know some of them. They might not all be brand new to us insights, but good reminders on mm-hmm. some important things. And, and certainly Alice's uh, fit into that. I also thought it was good that she just reminded us that for kids like that, it's okay to rewrite parts so that they can be successful. Like, I think we're also in that world of like, am I breaking copyright laws? Like, no, we're not, we're doing what's best for kids. So if a kid can only play a B flat and an F, let's just write them apart with B flat and Fs. For sure, for sure. Well, let's uh, wrap up with a little bit on diversity, equity, inclusion, access. We've had some guests specifically um, on to talk about that and others not. And then it kind of ended up being a part of the discussion. Uh, what have been some of your takeaways from the episodes where we're talking about DEIA? So the DEI conversation has been like really prominent in my PLC 612, both um, vocally and instrumentally. And so with like Matt Temple's, the first uh, podcast that I listened to from you guys, like it was about non-competitive jazz, right? And, but it kind of went down that DEI track and you talked about the book, the horizon leans forward. And I remember latching right on because you guys talked about like, you'll find this on our website. And I came to school and I immediately found the book and I sent it to my PLC and I'm like, we need to buy this book because we're all talking about this right now. And this is the, you know, let's, let's go this direction. So instead of all of us buying the book, one of us bought the book and now we're, we're going to pass it around. But 
like, so I, I latched into that and the connections. I mean, you've had several people that have talked about DEI and it's like, it's a huge thing. Like we all have lists of, we started a list of like, where's the DEI references and, you know, where can we find ideas for this for our classrooms? So it was just good to hear more people talk about it. So what's the hope with this PLC book club? Why did you suggest that we all read that book? And and what do you hope to see happen? How is that going to affect the students in your program? I think it's important that we play all types and all different music. um, So we're not just stuck in um, what seems to be the the standard, the traditional, like everybody must do holes first suite. And that's the only thing you can do. Um, I think it's good to expand our knowledge of who's out there writing, writing different stuff and knowing that it's okay that um, maybe we find a bluegrass piece that we can do with our groups. And maybe we find a piece from um, oh, Brazil that works with our groups. And it may not be like the cleanest and coolest thing ever, but for our kids, it's really good for them to know that there's other stuff out there. Has this attention to DEI filtered down to the student level at some point yet? Or are you still like at that PLC level working on it? I think the students are starting to notice it. Uh, they've noticed that we're, you know, we talk more about the composers that we're programming women and we're programming um, African-Americans and we're just programming different people. So they're starting, and we make sure we draw attention to it. And has there been any resistance or pushback from either colleagues who say, no, we don't need to do this. There's a reason Holst First Suite is in the place that it's held for for a hundred years or or students who who think this is not where we need to be putting our our efforts. Have you encountered any of that? No, no, quite the opposite. I think that our at least from a PLC level, we're all really excited about it. And I think the kids have noticed that it's a good thing too. One thing about many of the experts that we bring on is they might tend to be more research focused or in the ivory tower of higher education and not in the trenches like you are. So let me put you on the spot and say, let's say you had a colleague or a student push back on this a little bit and say, why is this even important? What do we, what is something practical that you, a 20 year veteran could offer to maybe someone who's been teaching a year or two who wants to do this, but is getting a little bit of pushback? What would you tell them? You're not the same person as me, Steve. Alan, you're not the same person as Steve. We're all different people and we all deserve that attention. And it, the same comes to music. Every piece of music deserves some sort of attention. If we all are the same, one of us is unnecessary. Well, Jennifer Williams, thank you for joining us today to share your insights on our insights. Are you ready to close down with some lightning round questions? Absolutely. All right. Aside from Music Ed Insights, what's the best podcast you're listening to these days? Uh, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. That's a good one. What is a piece of music that you wish more people knew about or would program with their band? Dear Stephanie by Jeremy Leidhecker. Give us a book recommendation that doesn't have anything to do with music. The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. What is Jennifer Williams' best karaoke song? (laughs) 
Um, I'm a big new kids on the block fan. So yes. hanging tough, <laughs> the right stuff, cover girl. Also some postmodern jukebox creep. That's another one of my favorites too. And finally, if you weren't a musician or a teacher, try to imagine it. What career do you think you would have had? Oh, I thought I was going to be a music journalist for a while. That or a lawyer. I think those were my two. Jennifer Williams, thank you so much for writing to us, for being a listener, and for joining us today to help other teachers see that they can do this stuff. Great to have you. Thanks for having me, and thanks for having a great podcast. You've been listening to Music Ed Insights. Please support this podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing it. We want to make this as thoughtful and practical as possible. Please send us your ideas for guests and suggestions for improvement. You can do that through our website, www.musicedinsights.com. You can also reach us on our Facebook page, Music Ed Insights, or via Twitter, at Music Ed Insights. Our website is also the place to find program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's www.musicedinsights.com. This podcast is sponsored and supported by Normal Design, Winterset Websites, Group Dynamic, and the Co-College Music Education Program. Learn more about them at our website. And let us know if your business or organization would like to join that list. New episodes drop every two weeks on Monday mornings. Get current. Stay relevant. Music Ed Insights. Music Ed Insights.